Welcome to the latest FT Advisor in Focus podcast, where we will be thinking the unthinkable about pensions. For at least 20 years, maybe more, industry specialists have said pensions policy is not working. It needs to be more joined up. It needs better and clearer taxation policies. And the benefits of pension saving must be better promoted. We've all heard these things many times. But maybe with the exception of the introduction of auto-enrolment, various other big pension policies in recent decades have done nothing to help the cause of retirement planning. Consider A-Day in, in 2006, which did not bring about the intended pension simplification at all, and that so-called vote-winning Osborne surprise in the 2014 budget, when he announced the government would bring in pensions freedoms within the year. Well, we all know how that's turned out. So, and over and over, pensions taxation has been tinkered with around the edges and different laws have been tacked on to the workings of pensions, making what should be a really simple concept, in other words, helping people save more for their retirement, well, it's been making this extremely complicated. With this in mind, we have a prestigious panel of experts joining us on the podcast. So joining me, Simone Kuriaku, Senior Editor for FT Advisor, are three of pensions brightest and best. We have Fiona Tate, Technical Director of Intelligent Pensions, Jamie Jenkins, Director of Policy and External Affairs at Royal London, and David Brooks, Technical Director for Broadstone. Welcome all. Hello. Hello, hello. Um, So Fiona, can I start with you? Here's a question for first thing in the morning. Is pensions taxation currently working? That's a pretty big question for first thing in the morning. Um, I, I would say that the answer is it is currently working, but not perfectly. And uh, just going back to something that you said earlier, you know, pensions simplification didn't actually deliver any simplification. It didn't. But actually, had they left it as they, you know, as it was brought in um, in 2006, By now, actually, we would have had some considerable simplification. And the reason that it's not simple now is because of all the ongoing tinkering that's been going on every single year. Um, So instead of just having the two two allowances that were were there at the beginning, you've now got um, different grades of allowances, especially on the annual allowance side. um, And then you've got different protections in place. So it is really ridiculously complicated. Jamie, what's uh, what, what's your view? Would you agree with that? Working but not perfect? Yeah, I think that's about right. We do have a system that I think is based on sound principles. So the idea that it's deferred pay, you are putting aside money today, you know, to use in the future and therefore, you know, giving tax relief up front and taxing it when it's taken seems like a sound principle. But I agree entirely with Fiona. I think where we've got to, particularly since AD, I mean, there was some simplification in AD. But where we've got to since then is we've got a real kind of jumble of different measures and protections in place, which have created a lot of complications since then. So there are definitely problems with it. I don't think it's fair to say it's not working at all, but there are definitely issues with it. Mm, Certainly. Uh, And I agree with that. Dave, can we come to you? Because uh, looking at all the sort of different pensions taxation, sometimes it makes it more difficult you know however much you save the more you save it almost seems like the the more you're going to be penalized well quite yeah I think a lot of the tinkering has been at the the upper end so making it harder for higher earners to to save so you know the the tapered annual allowance dealing with people earning a great deal of money um, they're reducing lifetime allowance and the annual allowances which you know Fiona and Jamie and you will remember was 
you know, two hundred thousand pounds or two hundred fifteen thousand pounds when it was first introduced, and is now at forty thousand. I do think though that we spend a little bit too much time worrying about the top end and the complexity at the top end because that does affect a very small minority of, of people. And I think you know the current um, pension taxation system, whether it's working or not, it probably is working for those you know lower earners or those who aren't affected by those things to an extent. And I, I don't know if, what point you want to get on to talking about tax relief and those kind of things. I've got some thoughts maybe for later on, but on what we can do about that. But um, but whether it's working for those guys, I, I'm not entirely sure. Mm. The trouble is, though, isn't it, that a lot of the advised clients are going to be in that upper bracket or just on the cusp of that upper bracket. So this is where, you know, the advisor has to know all the nuances of, of, of every taper and the lifetime allowance and all that. I mean, Dave, I, I don't want to sort of uh, jump the gun because we will come onto it later, but but let's hear let's hear some of your ideas. <laughs> well, I did, I did just want to just, just comment on, and I think, you know, it is a taxation system working. I think it sometimes depends on what the intention of it is. And if the government's intention is to make it really quite complicated and make it make people perhaps not save as much as they, they would to reduce the tax relief they give, then I think it's it's working. And is it creating that kind of level of fear that people might hit these limits? You know, lifetime allowance is seen as a limit and annual allowance is seen as a limit. And they're just limits or allowances on what's tax efficient. Um, I think we sometimes get a bit carried away with with worrying about that too much. But you know, we're talk, talking about what we could do. I think I think we need to learn some lessons from the US. I think, and and starting from a bottom up sort of system, I think we should be worrying about more about how um, the tax system incentivizes lower paid people to to save. People who are well well off will save simply because they will see the benefits in saving now for for benefit later. People at the lower end may not and have competing interests on their on their income. Um, and I think I think having something a, a dual if you if you could start from a blank page, starting having a dual system with with a system similar to what we've got now, perhaps with some slightly lower limits. So the sort of the um, EET system, the exempt exempt tax at the end system. But I think we need to have something like the pension lifetime ISA, something like that alongside, which allows um, people to save and get that top up, which for basic rate taxpayers would be better off over the full lifetime of their savings and allow employers to pay money into it as well and allow people to pick and choose which system they want to be in. Do you want to be in the one that, that taxes you up front or be in the one that taxes you um, at the end? Or, or both. Fiona, I can see you yeah. taking some notes there. Um, yeah, yes. I like this. Uh, can, can we hear some of your, your thoughts on what Dave's been saying? Yeah, I spent a lot of time a while back looking at the um, EET versus TEE systems. And I can see that it is very, it could be advantageous to have a choice. Um, my, my biggest issue with the, the idea of TEE for retirement savings is that um, there's, there's very little disincentive not to spend. So, you know, we have ISAs and ISAs are great for short term savings. And if you've got something in mind and the client wants to do something in the next sort of four or five years, but it does mean that people could dip in easily. And I think if they could, they would. And I've uh, you know, said myself in, in, in several years past, if my pension had been a TEE pension, I'd have a lot less pension now and a lot more shoes. I know I would. <laughs> Oh, that sounds a little bit like um, a sort of a sidecar scheme. Um, I think people are trying to to, to get that. Jamie, um, what, what sort of uh, thing would you like to see? Do you think we can have a, a 
a system where people can have both TEE and uh, EET alongside each other? I think we do is the short answer. So we, we have got pensions that are EET, so they're, um, as people have described, they're exempt from tax up front, but taxed later and deferred pay, back to that point. But equally, we've got ISAs, and a lot of people you know, who, who can afford it do use ISAs, which are operated on a TEE basis. You, you pay in money after tax, um, it's exempt, and then at the end, it's also exempt. So we've got, we've got products that kind of work to give that choice already, and hence things like um, nests, uh, sidecar savings, trials, are you know, looking at what, what people could use to, to save money separately into a different vehicle. But the vehicles are there. You know, I don't need to. I don't think we need to reinvent them. And we've already got, I think, six or seven different types of ISA for that matter. So mm. there's no shortage of of kind of options there. One thing I would say, and and you know, like like Fiona, I've looked at this um, extensively before, particularly when George Osborne reviewed tax relief. The question of TEE versus EET for pensions was you know was surfaced and and widely debated. There's only a couple of countries in the world, developed countries, um, with pension systems that operate on TEE, one of them being Australia, which is arguably one of the best pension systems in the world. But they would probably, most of, most of those who I've spoken to about the Australian system would say that with hindsight, they wouldn't have had TEE because it does create that problem, as Fiona rightly points out. There's no break on people spending when it comes to retirement. And some people, because they've also got a means-tested state pension, some people are actually spending down their private pension deliberately because it's not a huge amount and they want to get the full state pension uh, or age pension, as they call it there. So I think we can learn from looking at other more developed TE systems and see the issues that it creates. At the end of the day, we've got a population which is aging. We'll have a, um, more and more people in retirement and the bigger that population is, the more tax they'll pay at the, you know, at the other end of, of their savings journey, if you like. And therefore, you know, from the government's point of view, the future is more secure with, with older people paying tax than it would be with older people not paying tax. Mm. That's mm. A, a point for the Chancellor to consider. Yeah, that's, uh, can I stick with, with you on that, Jamie? Because I was speaking to, um, I've been speaking to a couple of people about this uh, recently and uh, because of the demographics and and longevity and more people sort of maybe even working longer into what would traditionally be retirement years, they have suggested that one way of filling the sort of the state pension black hole would be to force older workers, re- those past the, the, the state retirement age, to, to pay NI cons, um or higher taxation of a of an ilk on them i mean do you think it's beyond the realms of possibility that the chancellor is going to start dipping into the pockets of pensioners um in this way or is it just not a good political move it would be an extraordinarily brave chancellor i think to go down that route um at this point i think i think politically it's just not it wouldn't be palatable um to be honest and i think there are probably better ways of of looking at the tax breaks on pensions if that's what he or, he or she wants to do going forward. You know, any chancellor, I think, needs to kind of weigh up what, what can they get back, but equally, what, what do they lose in terms of the public's, you know, respect for the policy? Um, and I, I think, you know, doing that would be a real struggle. Ta- taxing the kind of oldest people in society, particularly when the oldest people have been the most vulnerable, mm-hmm. particularly over the last 12 months, seems like a pretty pretty hard hard route to go down. Yeah, not very politically expedient, I guess. No, I wouldn't have thought so. 
Um, Dave, what, what, what do you think? Do you think that we do need to start thinking some unthinkable um, or some unpalatable thoughts about um, the, the older generation, especially if they are continuing to work? It might not be a vote winner, but um, is it beyond the realms of imagination? Um, no, it probably isn't. I think it probably has crossed the mind of the Chancellor. Uh, I like Jamie's allusion to, yes, Prime Minister, it would be a very <laughs> courageous decision. And you know, the, the, the Chancellor would probably sit up quite high if some, one of his advisors said that to him. But I do wonder whether we should consider, you know, like you say, the unthinkable and think whether some of the, perhaps the more well-off people on our pensioner demographic could could shoulder some of the burden that we're all now now having, you know, some sort of targeted look at maybe perhaps those that are continuing in work could pay some level of national insurance and those with large pension incomes could probably, you know, if you set the threshold of the right amount, I think that would be, it would seem as reasonable by the nation as a whole. And I think some of those people probably would accept that they should should pay towards, you know, you could dress up, you know, looking at trying to support the NHS and things like that. I think, so it may not be completely unthinkable, but I take Jamie's point that if you were in power, you may not be in power for long if you did it in the sweeping yeah. way. Yeah, absolutely. It would be um, a last, uh, a last gasp Tory government that would uh, that would do this, and uh, I don't think it would be very. Uh, but you know, we're quite a few years away from an election, so um, people have short memories, don't they? <laughs> Fiona, I can see you nodding vociferously there. Well, yes, I think this is probably um, if there was one fiscal conundrum they could solve, they could solve. They choose how can we get some of money back from. Um, those wealthier older people, we know that they hold most of the, the you know, the bulk of the assets in the UK um, are, are held by people um, who are in their sort of 60s and 70s and, and, and going on. Money is there, but it's very unevenly distributed. So um, it would need uh, a very clever solution particularly if you happen to be a Tory government because of your voting base, um, to, to find some way where um, some benefit could come back into the country from those assets that are being held by a relatively small number of older people. I wonder if that something like that could be tied into social care. So maybe if you pay um, extra NI as an, as an older person or an older worker, then perhaps you... Um, this sort of guarantees you an extra bit of um, social care funding. I don't know. It sounds. I mean, there's a sort of a, get, a quid pro quo here, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Social care is is, is the other great ungrasped nettle um, that there, there is no solution there. So maybe um, you could bring in two two things at the same time. So, um, and one of the the things I've always been uh, quite a fan of is that those who have saved and have saved up in pensions should have the option to use that pension for social care. And I know they can right now, but it's not tax efficient. If there was some sort of tax break so that if your, your pension income goes directly to towards, uh, you know, to a care home or to somebody providing social care, that, that could then offset the fact that, well, we might ask you to, to continue to pay national insurance or something to that effect. Is that one of the things you would do? If you were Chancellor, and you could create a pension system from scratch. Would that be one of your uh, core tenets? That would be one of them, yes. Yes, allow people to use their pension to pay directly for um, care would definitely be on there. That sounds great. Have you got any other uh, gems in, in your... Ch Chancellor Tate, have you got any other... Uh, um, I, I wouldn't say I've got any other gems. Um, I mean, it's pretty difficult. One, one of the things, though, that I mean, I'm just going to go slightly off piece that I think needs to be addressed. 
you know, you, you, we started by saying, does the tax pension tax relief system work? And one of the issues I think we have is that it doesn't deal very well with the fact that we have a dual pension system in the UK. So we still have um, defined benefit schemes. We still have defined contribution schemes. And as things are now, it's pretty much split. Uh, you know, the vast majority of defined benefit schemes are sitting in the public sector. Um, and the vast majority of, of defined contribution are in the private sector. And, and we are basically trying to use the same tax regime for both types of pension. And it's, it's not working brilliantly right now, but it could get even worse if um, we do things like bring in flat rate tax relief. Um, you know, that would be very, very difficult on the defined benefit side. So don't have a fabulous answer for that, but I think we do need to actually recognize that these are two fundamentally different things and perhaps consider, for example, whether one should be lifetime capped and the other should be contribution capped. Um, instead of trying to do both for both of them. And then add a third element into that mix, the five million self-employed and entrepreneurs as well. Um, that's, that's another contribution. Have you got any uh, ideas about how the self-employed could um, sort of pick up their pensions, bat on and run with it? I, I have to be totally honest. I've been in several um, conferences where that question's been asked. And normally you get lots of pension advisors sticking up their hands and saying, yeah, we could do this. We could do that. And that one, I've sat in rooms where everybody's kind of sat there very quietly and said, well, I haven't really got a huge solution. Um, I mean, that's one where we very much want, got to engage the people who would be saving. And, uh, you know, I mean, we did self-employed saving rates did used to be not too bad. That used to be better in many cases than employed saving rates. But it's just, you know, it's gradually got lower and lower and lower. And I, I think that um, fewer self-employed people are engaged. And I think that possibly one of the issues is this complexity, that it really is difficult. I mean, I, I don't have a problem with the fact that those who can afford to pay advisors would use those advisors to work out the complexity because they're they're paid to do it. Um, but we have a situation where it's actually, it's pretty much impossible, even if you're an expert, because what we're looking at is whether people can contribute and we need to know how much they earn and we need to make the contributions before we know how much they earn. So, I mean, that that's insoluble. Mm, mm. Dave, I'm going to come to you because I can see you you you're nodding um, vociferously there. Um, if you if you were Chancellor, do do you uh, do you think that you would uh, have Fiona on your uh, policy team? Do you, do you agree with some of her uh, <laughs> her ideas, or, or would you wield a different a different scepter as Chancellor of the Exchequer? Well, I'll definitely throw her the ball to deal with self-employed because when she was talking, I was trying to <laughs> not catch your eye because <laughs> thinking of a solution to that is is outside my realms of ability. I'm afraid that's too insoluble. Was I think the last word that Fiona used? I would I would agree with that. So, what what would you do? What 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 would be your sort of a big policy angle if uh, as Chancellor? Well, I've always quite liked the idea of having a lifetime contribution allowance. So rather than having an annual allowance with the three-year complicated, you know, carry forward rules and that kind of thing, just say right from the outset, you get, you can pay in, I don't know what the number might be, one and a half million pounds across your working life. And that, that'll take an account of those early years when you're perhaps, you don't have so much disposable income and you've got other, other calls on your savings. But then later on in life, when you perhaps see the benefit in pensions a little more, mid-40s, and you start thinking, well, I need to start upping it. When you haven't hamstrung yourself by being stuck to whatever the government may have then since done reducing the allowances and changing tax relief rules and all the rest of it and say well you've kept this bank of of, of um sort of a reserve 
of, of potential savings that you can do that you can then increase as you go through your through your working life. So I think an idea of a lifetime contribution allowance would be quite an interesting one to think mm. about. Interesting. Jamie, uh, let, let's let's pass the job to you. Um, as Chancellor of the Exchequer, what would you do if you could create a pension system from scratch? Well, listen, let me first say, I mean, Dave, Dave's ideas are interesting about this um, life lifelong allowance, but to be honest, I, I wouldn't have them on my, my policy team. <laughs> um, Too socialist, Dave. Get get out of here. <laughs> I think. Well, well, I suppose I look at it um, slightly differently, and I'll, I'll I'll come to it. I mean, first of all, I do agree with Fiona's point. I think DB and DC are entirely different, and we need to recognise that. Um, I think that was part of the problem last time. We were trying to, to solve the whole thing with one solution across the two, and they're different in the sense that I mean, defined contribution schemes whether people view it as such or not, you can look at tax relief as an incentive for people to save and indeed for employers. Whereas in DB schemes, it's not about an incentive to save. It's about really a contribution towards the funding of this liability. It, you know, it's not like people would pay more into a DB scheme. There's, there's no there's no purpose in doing that um, in the same way. So I think we need to look at the two things very differently. And I think if we separate them out, it's slightly easier then to try and tackle the problem. Um, and that would be my starting point. I think. I think coming back to Dave's point, I mean, it's an interesting idea. Do you have a kind of uh, a lifetime allowance that you can, you know, save all things uh, to over your lifetime? And that's one idea. I think to me, it might be slightly simpler to have an annual allowance, but no lifetime limit. It, it makes sense to me to limit what people can put in each year, and just say that's that's the cap. And keep that as simple as possible, but flexible as well, that any chancellor can move it up or down depending on where the economy is at and what, what kind of incentives you want to provide. But I have a problem with the idea that we have this lifetime allowance which actually taxes um, investment growth, for example, and not, not just contributions mm. going in. That that seems a kind of strange concept to to put to people. And I think it creates an awful lot of complication. So I think it'd be good. I mean, clearly this is where we have to have that debate properly. Because um, there are a range of ideas that have been um, ever since the uh, tax relief was was first talked about. I think just briefly on self-employed, I was involved in the 2017 review and uh, of auto enrolment, and uh, we did look at self-employed, and we are still doing work on it. I'm still working with the TWP on some trials that that Nest and one or two others are doing. It's not an easy problem. Everybody's right on this. It's a really hard, difficult problem to get self-employed in. It's a very different group of people, and it's a very diverse group of people because it includes everybody from, you know, the the seventeen-year-old getting a bit of extra money um, delivering pizza through to, you know, um, highly paid professional consultants at the other end, and everybody in between. Mm. And they are a very different group. And I think, to me, the problem there isn't just about pensions or tax relief for that matter. It's about looking at the whole kind of regime. And structure of work for the self-employed and saying you know we need to tackle the other problems around you know sick pay and um, holiday pay and all those things that are different I'm not saying the answer is they should all get it but we need to look at those things in the round before we decide what we do with any further incentivization on tax. Mm, has that uber um, ruling sort of thrown a, a spanner in the proverbial works? Well it's certainly thrown a spanner in the works for uber <laughs> um, and, um, in terms of its uh, business plan I think that's quite evident I mean I think what we saw there was the maturing of the policy around that we had a, a number of companies that have been using that type of contract very effectively and very profitably and that's that's fine but I think the 
you know, the, the rulings have, have caught up on that and said, well, this doesn't seem quite right and, and it needs to be changed. And, you know, we've all seen what's what's come of it. And it, and it is a bit like that. We have this kind of catch-up period where, you know, cert, certain rules are, are used to the advantage of companies to make profit. And then and then at some point down the line, somebody comes along and says, well, that's, that's not quite right the way you're doing that. So that that's where that's where we are on that what the effect i think it has had though and perhaps the pandemic more generally has had on self-employment is that i think for the first time in a number of years we've seen a slight reduction in the number of self-employed people across the uk so it's been steadily growing to around five five and a half million and i think it's probably dropped back to more like sort of four four and a half million now, partly that is some people who could not do their job and have sadly been unable to continue working, you know, in, in whatever profession they had. But equally, I think there's something we'll see come from that, which is the uncertainty that is inherent in being self-employed is far less appealing when you experience the kind of thing that, that that's happened over the last 12 months. Mm. And it, it's not it's not to say we're going to have lots more pandemics. I sincerely hope we we don't. But of course, people losing their jobs are not unusual things. It's just happened on a grand scale over the last 12 months. But the type of events that people have experienced are actually quite common in life. And I think that's really been quite an awakening for, for some people that look for more security. Mm, indeed. We're going to, to look at the Office for Tax Simplification. We all expected there to be some sort of comments about pensions taxation in the budget. We always expect it. Um, every budget and uh, we've been disappointed the past few years or, or maybe relieved the past few years. I, I'm disappointed as a journalist obviously because it's a bit less to write about when nothing happens. Everyone else is probably very relieved so uh, I'm just being selfish. Uh, and then we expected perhaps something to be mentioned at tax day. Um, nothing was mentioned on CGT, nothing was mentioned on, um, uh, nothing big was mentioned on inheritance tax. Pensions, taxation, uh, policy changes, do we expect the OTS to um, be sort of forcing the Chancellor's hand later on this year? Are we likely to see anything? And if so, what is it? Fiona, I'm going to ping that one to you, then go to Dave and then to Jamie. I'm going to do a classic politician thing and, and answer the question <laughs> you didn't actually ask. <laughs> well, you are Chancellor for the day, Fiona. So. I am Chancellor, so I can do that. Um, yeah, the, the, the the question that I'm going to answer is, well, should the OC, OTC actually put pressure on, on the Chancellor to, to grasp the nettle? And I, I actually, I do think perhaps they should. I'm not convinced they will. Because taxation is a point where we, we, we need to really look at the bigger picture, particularly in the pension side, you know, not tinkering anymore, but really fundamentally, if we're going to make, if, if, if there's going to be any sort of serious change, it needs to be one that is well thought out um, and absolutely not the Chancellor of the day. I stand up and say, right, I'm just going to change everything because I can. But I stand up because I have spoken to a pension commission who's specifically got up to, to look at this or, you know, the independent bodies. I've, I've talked to the PLSA, I've talked to the PPI and people like that. And there's been actual, you know, real evidence of, of different routes to go forward. And then there is also some, uh, you know, it, it's done over enough time that, that people are given a chance to prepare um, because certainly one of, you know, if you were to change anything in pensions tax relief, the impact on payroll and for employers, you know, it would be huge. Um, and to just drop it on them would be completely irresponsible. So I actually would almost rather that we bit the bullet and got on with it and decide, right, are we really going to do this? Let's look at it very, very seriously. 
or let's just not do it. But there are a lot of um, other things, short-term things that you could do. We could have ISA simplification. I was thinking (laughs) that earlier. I mean, really, we've got so many of them now. Do we need them all? And, of course, um, we could just try and get rid of my two pet hates, which are the taper and the money purchase annual allowance. Mm. I think a lot of financial (laughs) advisors would agree with you on that. Dave, over, over to you. Well, yeah, I mean, I didn't get the job. Jamie didn't give me the job as Chancellor, so I can't be quite as strong as But I, I do agree with Fiona, actually, and I think we do need to sit down and think about what this whole system is trying to do. And if that's the OTS's job to try to prompt that that debate, you know, so, you know, think about the lifetime allowance. When it was set, it was 1.5 million in 2006, and now it's, you know, just over a million. I mean, what what is the point of lifetime allowance? What is it trying to do is it trying just to reduce people's ability to save and stop public sector workers from having big pensions what what is its purpose and again well again going back to one of jamie's points as well about that tax incentive to save you know db i accept people don't go into the db scheme thinking about how much they're going to save on tax they're going because it's a a really good pension scheme with dc I, i don't think tax is the reason that a lot of people are in in their DC scheme, they're in the DC scheme because the employer is matching their contributions or perhaps paying more. So again, what is that tax incentive? You know, for a 20% taxpayer, they don't really gain that much from the whole system. You know, they they have 20% relief on the way in, 20% on the way out. So really their only gain is the investment return and the tax-free cash at the end. Is that enough of an incentive to make people save? Probably not. And if it isn't, then let's not call it the incentive anymore. Let's just mm. have a whole think about it. So no, I agree with, with Fiona. We need to have a proper think about it rather the than only, go on Fiona oh. I was going to say the only thing about that is that whilst you know you can say that the tax-free cash and um, uh, you know um, uh, the, the investment growth is, is is maybe not enough of an incentive to make people save I'm absolutely convinced if you took them away that they would be a very good disincentive mm. disincentive to save. Oh, yeah I'm not saying take them away I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm talking about making them better Making ah, them a clearer like incentive for, for for basic rate taxpayers. Definitely, you've got to make it better for them. I think you're right. If you make it clearer and better, I mean, for example, we've just uh, I've just started a um, a pension for my son because let's face it, by the time he's sixty, um, you know, the state pension age will probably be ninety five. So you know, going into that and seeing the the government uplift, actually seeing in in, in the table or showing you very clearly how much tax incentive you've gotten it is actually it's quite encouraging you think oh I didn't it's, it's a bit little bit more than I thought it was going to be why is it what is this growth and actually it's not growth it's, it's, the, it's the tax um, on top and I think if, if it's very clear to people and, and people can sort of see how that works in their workplace pensions in a much clearer and simpler way then perhaps it just might be a little added incentive and you know you might think oh actually yeah, look, I've got a little bit more. Maybe if I put a bit more in, I'm going to get a little bit more of an incentive. So it, it, it could um, it could help. But um, Jamie, um, I'm going to sort of leave the final word to you. Obviously, you are the arbiter of who becomes chancellor or not. So maybe you are prime minister. Um, <laughs> What would what, what 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 would you do? What what do you think the the OTS should do, and what would be your big call? Well, it's certainly been a, a day of political promotions for me. That's, uh, <laughs> that's interesting. I mean, I think I'm not sure the OTS will be the driver behind it. The, the OTS are primarily focused on, you know, simplification around, as, as they, as the name suggests, around the, the the edges. Really, they have made some recommendations in the past, but I think a, a structural review of pensions taxation would come from 
the Chancellor, and I agree with uh, the points made by others, it should be, if it's to be reviewed, a proper, open, wide, consultative review rather than an announcement about what the answer is. I think it's too important for that. And the, and the, the work that would be required, not just by the industry, but by employers and by HMRC, is extraordinary, really. I think there'd be a huge amount of work involving, um, you know, a large, large swathes of people across probably several years. So it's not the kind of thing that you should do lightly. We're not in a position to afford those kind of resources in, in the current climate, um, you know, unless it's something really important to do. So a, a good wide open review. I think we do need to separate out DB and DC in that context. I think they are different things. I think we do need to look at um, particularly the lower earners problem with, with there are a number of people not getting any form of tax relief due to the anomaly in the way that that's, that works within different pension schemes. That That's a real problem and um surprised that we didn't see anything on that in, in the budget or the subsequent tax day, to be honest. So that's that's one thing. It is a, a, a small part in the, in the overall scheme of things. I think um, Dave's right as well. There's something about repositioning I mean, people don't recognise tax relief as an incentive. Tax relief, as a as a as a phrase, doesn't conjure up images of um, nice things. It just it just sounds like a complicated thing that nobody understands. So we need to reposition that, uh, whatever it whatever it looks like. If it's some form of incentive, let's make it clear to people that it is an incentive. It's a good thing, and um, they should welcome. And I, and I agree with. Um, uh, Fiona on, on you know the taper and the, the money purchase annual allowance. I think these are horribly complicated things, and perhaps where the OTS may have some influence is around these edges to look at those um, uh, types of things. And you know, take Fiona's point, maybe just uh, on the side, if they could uh, simplify the whole ISA reg regime at the same time, that would be uh, magic. But um, yeah, my, my short answer is I, I, I think if I were chancellor or the OTS for that matter I would say well there's a pretty good system at the heart of this but there's a lot of complication that's been uh, heaped on top and that's where I would start. Mm, fantastic well magic is uh, <laughs> magic is definitely what uh, is what's needed I think and it's well it's definitely clear that we're going to need a proper uh, bit of joined up thinking between government and industry when it comes to pensions taxation and policy. But while our expert panel may have pinpointed the problems in the space of half an hour and highlighted the need for a big thorough review, sad reality, as we know, it's going to take the government much, much longer to solve these problems. So it just remains for me to thank our panel, Fiona, Jamie and David, and to thank you all for listening. Until next time, take care. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.